Today on The Travel Guys. In the travel news, it may soon be illegal for companies to sponsor their own online reviews. And after a terrible week in the skies, things are under control so far this holiday weekend. Those stories are next. Lots of folks are traveling by car on vacation this summer. Mark has some thoughts about the importance of you, your driving attitude and shares them with our Smarter Traveler segment coming up at 320. If you have a drive through the redwoods of California and on up the Oregon coast on your to-see, to-do travel list, I have some great tips for a great trip for you at 335. Finally, for the past few weeks, we've been following a bag lost by one of Mark's staff. The bag has been found, boys and girls. And so the story ends? Well, not exactly. We'll let you know. We'll update the United the United Lost Baggage Odyssey coming up at 355. If you're a new traveler here, welcome. If you're continuing your journey, welcome back. It's nice to have you on the Travel Guys. On the road again. I've been everywhere, man. Welcome. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Travel and Entertainment Guys. Mark Hoffman and Tom Romano with you. Don't forget now you can check out uh, the Travel Guys and links to our special guests on the show and lots more at TravelGuysRadio.com. Well, here we are. It's a scorching Sunday. Scorching doesn't even begin to describe it. Everybody's pretty well hunkered down for a while. Uh And... uh, with the 4th of July uh, around, around the corner, the good news is it looks like we'll probably get a break by the time we get to the 4th and only be into the upper 90s. So there you go. Mark, welcome home. Thank you. After a uh, rather whirlwind uh, trip up to Oregon and all, and uh, look forward to getting the details a little bit later on in the program. Thank you, sir. It's so hot in, in town out in Rancho Cordova that they're not even shooting off illegal fireworks ahead of the 4th of July. I mean, it's that's that's how hot it is. I got to fly in Friday night from uh, from Portland with some good folks. Uh, we were kind of flying Friday afternoon rush hour, which under any circumstances would be a fairly busy time to visit airports. Uh, we, thanks to the folks at Southwest Airlines, whisked through check-in in Portland. There was zero, I mean, there were zero people in line, literally, um, at, at pre-check or at regular check-in. Uh, we got out on time, got in on time. It was busier in the Sacramento airport at 8 mm-hmm. o'clock or 7 o'clock than it was in the Portland airport at 4 o'clock. So, Interesting. Yeah, and, and I, looking at the board, about looked like about two-thirds of the flights were delayed, but a good portion of them were just delayed, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes, so not too catastrophic. You know, United Airlines had their meltdown. We'll talk about that. You had some family coming in this week. How did their travel experience go? I did. I did. My granddaughters from Austin, Texas, flew in uh, yesterday. They flew in on Saturday. We were able to avoid the the Friday thing. Uh-huh. And uh, they had an hour, hour delay getting out of Austin. Since they're minors, they fly unaccompanied minor nonstop from Austin to Sacramento. Uh, so their trip was uh, wasn't too bad. It was, a, like I say, an hour delay. Uh, my son-in-law's father came to visit, and he showed up uh, this morning. 
and they had uh, a delay out of the, uh, he flew United, uh, my daughters flew Southwest, granddaughters rather, and uh, his flight was delayed uh, out of San Antonio because of a shortage of guys and people to put the bags on the plane. Uh-huh. So he was a little more than a half an hour late getting out of there, and he had a really tight connection uh, at, at LAX. And uh, he got there three minutes. He had three minutes to make his flight. Fortunately, he had a carry-on only, <laughs> and the, uh, the, the, the gate he was uh, going to was, was right next door. So wow. he was able to get off one and get on the other. So a, a, a tip to the wise, you know, I mean, you cut it too close. Uh, and it could be disastrous. That, I think, originally was supposed to have been an hour-and-a-half layover, mm-hmm. but it turned into a three minutes. Well, but yeah, that's count the al- half hour per boarding. Also the reason that we tell folks pretty consistently that the old rule of make sure you have at least an hour in connecting time is really kind of out the window because airports are so much larger. When I went in business 40 years ago, um, the Sacramento Airport was a lot different than it is now. The Denver Airport was a lot different than it is now. Um, all of these other places, the concourses are longer. They've added extra gates. They've added entire extra concourses. United now flies out of three concourses in Denver in the old days. The worst thing that could happen to you was B-21 to B-60-something. Um, in 10 or 12 or 14 minutes, you could you could make it there by using the moving sidewalks and stuff. Now you could fly in and be on the end of one of those concourses. The only way to get off is in the middle. So you have to go to the middle, go down, get to the other concourse, come up, and then get to your gate. And, man, I'll tell you what, if you need to use the bathroom and you're hungry, uh, then you got to start and, – and you got children. you got to start deciding what your priorities are because <laughs> um, you're not going to be able to do all those things. And like you said, what happens if you're in a situation where you got to get off one plane and get on the other? Parents, I'm sure – think about things like this more than those of us who are adults do, but you always throw your favorite protein bar or whatever your go-to snack is in your carry-on and stuff when you're connecting because that's the, the danger of connecting is that, you know, you you might not make it, or if you do, you might make it by the, by the skin of your teeth. Anyways, we probably should get on to the travel news here. I'm glad that your family got here for the weekend. You had anything special planned for the 4th? Uh, just hanging out, hitting the pool, uh, enjoying the fourth. Uh, good food, good friends, good family. What else could you possibly want? All right, at the top of every Travel Guys radio show, sooner or later we get around to the travel news. And with it, Mr. Mark Hoffman. Yeah, okay. Uh, we've talked on this program recently about uh, the quality and the importance of online reviews. And of not in, 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 you know, 10 years ago, you'd look at somebody's online reviews and you'd say, okay, I can make some determination of whether this is a good or bad place to do business with. Now, not so much. Um, there are companies that can be hired to write online reviews that are good. There are some ways to get bad online reviews off if you have a good enough argument. Hey, we were remodeling the restaurant, so you've got to take those off because that all has to do with the remodeling. We're brand new. You know, now we have a brand new space. Well, yeah, okay, maybe and maybe not. I mean, those things might have had to do with the quality of the food, not the time it took to get it. 
And that may not have changed since you remodeled the restaurant. Anyway, the uh, Federal Trade Commission has been paying attention. They have proposed new rules that will clarify what is and isn't a deceptive online review and give it the power to fine $50,000 for each fake review. Not each fake review itself, but each time somebody sees a fake review. So imagine you put a review up. And a thousand people visit your website over a week, and it's fake. So you, hypothetically, the FTC could fine you fifty thousand times a thousand. Um, so you'd have to put a lot of zeros on there, but you're well up over into the millions of dollars. So this might have some teeth to it if they actually do it and they can make it stick. But you know, this this is as severe as. Uh, saying the bad word on, on the radio multiple times uh-huh. and being fined for each time that you said it yeah. uh, by the FCC. So, so the FTC is taking a page right from the FCC's guidebook, uh, so to speak. Well, and this is um, this is an, a chance. You know, and we tell people here, and, and, and really and truly, no matter what happens with this, um, you've got to be careful about online reviews. You can look at them and you can see that sometimes, hey, look, uh, this company had or this restaurant, uh, four times people complained about slow service or about um, how the steak was tough or the clam chowder was lousy or whatever, and the restaurant never responded. So that's a bad sign that you know people complained about things. The restaurant wasn't smart enough to hire somebody to write enough reviews to get those reviews to scroll off the homepage. And they didn't respond to the people. So there are there's some value to reviews. But when you see these reviews in a, in a place is just, you know, a hotel is just 4.9 and everything is wonderful about it. And it's the greatest hotel I've ever stayed in. And I call BS on that because not everybody, I, I don't care how good you are, not everybody is going to think you're wonderful. Somebody's going to have a reason or have a, a situation that wasn't well responded to and it'll go down the tubes. But anyways, um, it's it, it would be, to me, it would be encouraging. Government can be overreaching in things. This is something where we need a little help. We need some guidelines and some rules and some penalties so that if people decide to do this and they get caught, that will help protect consumers. I am certain of it. We'll talk. We'll ask Chris Elliott about this next time that he's on the radio with us. Southwest Airlines, we mentioned um, airline pilots rarely go on strike. There's a process, a four-step process to go through. It rarely gets past step one. Southwest pilots have pressed theirs to step two. So there's still a long ways to go on this before they might strike. But Southwest pilots at this point are kind of the lowest paid guys on the totem pole. They're not facing poverty anytime soon but other guys are getting big raises and they haven't agreed to one yet so they're trying to turn up the pressure a little bit on their present company by moving along the process that would authorize a strike so that should be interesting it was a long week for airlines um the weather turned bad last back east um not only are they dealing with the smoke the folks who were walking around in the streets but the airlines were dealing with thunderstorms and the like um, United was was it was their turn to melt down this last week. Uh, one Monday they canceled twenty percent of their flights. It got better as the week went on. But what was really galling was during the week a lot of these problems emulated out of their hub in Newark. What was really galling during the week was that their CEO got a private jet chartered out of Newark to fly him to his home, which is near Denver in Boulder, Colorado. And didn't take his own airline while his own customers 
were having problems getting out of Newark and getting to Denver, which is another United hub, so the service is fairly frequent. This guy went and chartered a jet and flew on his own rather than stick it out with his own staff and his customers, and it became public news. And he, I mean, you talk about bad judgment. I, it, if I were on a board of directors, I'd have that guy in um, Wednesday morning, and I would say, what in the world were you thinking? I mean, talk, I mean, it, it, maybe it's not a huge crime in itself, but the optics of it are oh, yeah. just unbelievable. The CEO of the airline, while the airline is melting down, charters a private jet to get him from point A to point B within his own airline's hub, hub system. Uh, you know, there's a special place for people like that, and <laughs> uh, he needs to have the opportunity to go there. He sent his employees uh, a letter today that we've gotten a copy of uh, here that says, you know, we messed up. We can do better. Outline some ways he can do better. Interestingly enough, never actually apologizes to the employees, but does outline the ways that he thinks that they can do better. Sent the United has sent the people involved. So if you are one of the people who got stuck someplace uh, over last weekend or earlier in the week from United, you should have gotten an, an email from them. Um, they're passing out miles which is what airlines do when something like this happened. Remember, Southwest passed out miles and credits. Um, mm -hmm. Of course, anything to keep from paying cash uh, to people. So what we need is a stronger system here. We need a system that, that holds the airline's feet to the fire when something like this happens. And, you know, the guy tried to blame it on the FAA. And the reality is that they've got too many arrivals and departures scheduled out of Newark and not enough gates. And so when anything goes wrong, um, the proverbial poop hits the fan. And this is what happened. And it, it's Southwest had the problem, and then they had problems with their scheduling system, getting their crews and their planes where they needed to be. So it took them two or three days of recovery. This is just ridiculous. I mean, it's truly ridiculous. And the fact that there is no regulation that holds these people's uh, feet to the fire, that they don't have to compensate their customers in actual dollars, but rather can send them funny money and funny miles, which they can, if you recall correctly, United just a few weeks ago seriously devalued the value of their mileage plus credits. So now they've sent all these people these mileage plus credits. Perhaps they should explain to them that the 30,000 miles are actually only about 20,000 miles under the new United system because that's all they will buy you. So good luck, suckers. That's the way he should have signed the note at the end. Um, anyways, let's see here. Tourists are still behaving badly overseas. Other than that, I have no opinion on the issue. Um, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> um, just just uh, one man's opinion. Yeah, uh, travelers are still behaving badly overseas. A guy carved a love note into the Colosseum in Rome um, in the latest case of tourist misbehavior. Um, carved the name of him and his girlfriend into the walls of the Colosseum. So uh, he could face up to five years in prison and a fine of about $16,400. That seems like a rather innocuous thing, but I'm going to suggest to you that if a couple people actually went to prison for several years for defacing a world landmark um, and paid a huge fine or were some, something more than just inconvenienced, that mm -hmm. this problem might have a chance of being under control. Amen. So that it, if, if, you, if you, again, kind of like the last thing, if you held the people's feet to the fire, maybe or maybe not, that would work. Wallet Hub says, best places to celebrate 4th of July – Based on a variety of criteria, 
um, about uh, celebrations and entertainment venues and all that stuff. Not surprising, Los Angeles and San Francisco and New York and Las Vegas and Seattle are the top five. I would not argue with any of that. Seattle, Orlando, Dallas, San Antonio, and Milwaukee, kind of interesting. I didn't print out the whole report, so I can't tell you where Sacramento landed. Uh, 57% say of Americans say inflation is hurting their 4th of July plans. So that's kind of interesting. Um, anyways, let's see. What else have we got here in the travel news? Uh, United's frequent flyer gifts to their travelers. And finally, uh, the note about the meltdown. That's your travel news for today. And there you go. And that was Mark Hoffman with the travel news. Remember, we're TravelGuysRadio.com. All right, moving on in our next segment, the Smarter Traveler segment. We're going to talk about driving attitudes. A lot of folks on the road got to maintain a positive attitude. All right, Mark, uh, we're going to talk uh, road trips. I used to take a lot of them when uh, when the kids were younger. We'd uh, all pile in the car, and I don't know, Disneyland oftentimes was uh, was the destination. But uh, having it in a long time, it was so... Uh, they were always kind of fun. Things have changed kind of dramatically uh, in regards to road trips. I, I don't think people are quite as sane, if you will, or have the right attitude as they used to when, they, uh, when they're when they on the road. You probably see a lot of stuff being a, a passenger in a motor coach, uh, taking people all kinds of different places. We, we, we do, and for the last week I've been... Um, backseat driving from the first row behind a driver on a 45-foot motor coach um, going up, mostly up Highway 101, which in some places is a four-lane road, some places is a two-lane road, but it definitely isn't. Even when it's four-lane, it's rarely a freeway. It's a 55, 60-mile-an-hour road, and and in lots of places it's a 40, 45-mile-an-hour road. So it's not, right. a, it's not a road like I-5 that you take to get from point A to point B as fast as you can. It's a road you take... Um, because it might be the only alternatives between your point A and point B. And also, um, it's a scenic road. There's a lot of things along it, like an ocean um, and groves of giant redwood trees and the like. We're going to talk a little bit about our journey and some of the things that we saw. But what I wanted to talk in this segment is just because a lot of people are out on the road. And listen, um, if you're on vacation, you're going to have to – you're up in the Oregon area, in the Portland area, you're going to have to drive through Portland. If you're on vacation and you're going from Reading to Los Angeles, there's a pretty good chance you're going to have to drive through Sacramento. So you're around vacation travelers all the time, even if you're on your own local area. And when you get on those roads like Highway 101, there's going to be a much greater percentage of people pulling a fifth wheel or something like that. And unlike motor coach drivers and truck drivers, many of these people who are pulling this extra equipment don't have a tremendous amount of experience <laughs> in those situations. Robin so they're, Williams. Yeah, they're a, little, they're a little dangerous sometimes even to themselves because they may not have experienced the same number of situations on a road that a professional driver like somebody driving a bus or a truck might might have in those situations they're not looking for the you know they're not they're not being a defensive driver so to speak and i say this um from sitting behind somebody for a week who was really a good driver and uh, uh, this man mike from a northwest navigator in 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 portland um did a terrific job he was good at anticipating things and you know when you got 40 30 people behind you on a bus um you don't go roaring up to an intersection at 40 miles an hour when you can see it's been green for the last mile 
you know, you anticipate the fact that, hey, you know, when I get there, it may, it, it, it may go the other direction on me. So I probably should take my foot off the gas and anticipate the possibility of that happening. So I don't end up in the middle of the intersection or the guy behind me doesn't end up stuck glued to the back of the bus when we stop suddenly. So there are a lot of things you can do. You know, people know this about defensive driving. But what I'm just going to suggest to you is when you're out on the road, especially some of these sightseeing roads, um, that are not pure interstate freeways but or highways, but even still, even on those roads, um, being a total idiot is just is a, you're asking for trouble because in the summertime when you've got these folks out there who aren't as experienced with big with big equipment or don't Tom like you you know you haven't taken a family driving vacation for a long time so maybe there's a lot of people out on the road who haven't done a family driving vacation for a long time so. They're looking for rest areas, and they're trying to follow their GPS, and they're doing all these distracted driving things. You've got to drive defensively. And the other thing is that, um, you know, zapping around uh, a bus or a truck and flipping the driver off and um, only to find out that, you know, there's a stoplight on the highway half a mile up, and guess who ends up right next to you? The very motor coach that your driver that you just flipped off um, because he was going slower than you thought he should, but, you know, maybe there was no place to get over. It's a two-lane road. There are no passing lanes. There's, you know, guys or truck is not going to stop just because you're behind him. He's going to figure, hey, there's a passing lane in three miles. Cool your jets. Um, when we get there, I'll pull over to the other lane, and you'll get, you'll, you'll get past me. This doesn't excuse professional drivers who do stupid things on the road. But by and large, most drivers of big rigs, motor coaches, et cetera, women or men, are extremely professional at what they do. And they don't cause most of these issues. So just when you're out there, your attitude of how you go places is, and how you get there, and just take a deep breath once in a while. Well, good advice, good advice. And in all the things that you talk about, Mark, uh, most everybody has seen at one mm-hmm. time or another, or you were that car behind that slow-moving truck or bus, and you, for whatever the reason, you start getting antsy. You gotta kind of, like you say, cool your jets and and think about it. You know, on uh, Highway One, uh, I mean, that's that's a that's a windy road in some places. And yeah, that's way worse a, than one hundred and one. It, it's it's a uh, it, absolutely, it, and and you really have to be cautious and not take any chances, or it could it could turn out badly. All right, my friends, more of the travel guys. We're gonna go up the Oregon coast and talk about Mark's recent trip with his travelers. Okay, Mark, uh, back from a rather exciting and eventful trip uh, up the mm. North Coast. Let's hear about it. Yeah, yeah. We had I had uh, twenty seven wonderful people uh, with me on a uh, was a, this is a motor coach tour. I only, if you're new to the travel guys, I am the owner of a tour company in Sacramento that's been here for forty four years uh, called Sports Leisure Vacations, and I took some folks out as a tour director last week. We had a seven-day itinerary that where we left uh, Sacramento last Saturday morning, and we flew home from Portland on Friday evening. So we took the coach all the way up the coast and to Portland, and it was a, a, a coach from Oregon, and left it there and then flew back home uh, last night. And, of course, my company provides door-to-door service for folks, so we all got to go home uh, af- easily af- when we got back to Sacramento. How long? Uh, on your the motor coach from Sacramento to Portland uh, with uh, stops along the way. How long is that part of the journey? Well, uh, it, we took seven days, which you could do this probably in three days if you wanted to. But the point is we were doing 
a lot of things along the way, and right. we weren't in a, in a particular hurry. If we'd have been in a hurry, why then, as we talked in the previous segment, we'd have gotten on I-5, or we'd have gotten on a Southwest or Alaska plane and been in Portland in an hour. But in our case, right. um, we the, the longest distance was the first day from Sacramento to Garberville, which is about 230 miles. So most days we traveled 100 miles or less. It's only about 900 miles up there, and we polished off you know, a good chunk of it the first day. So then we only averaged 100, 150 miles a day after that. Um, wanted to share with folks because not everybody is going to go on a tour on a bus um, with a bunch of other people where somewhere where you've paid the money and someone else has done all the planning and arranging and all you have to do is sit there and follow directions. Um, but what we saw and did and discovered along the way, I think, would be of some value to the folks who are listening to us. Uh, here on the radio. So um, for hotels, we stayed in Garberville at a Best Western. Um, Garberville is about four and a half hours from Sacramento, so that's a pretty good uh, jaunt for the first day. And then when you, by the time you add rest stops and a meal stop, stuff like that, you're probably looking at six and a half hours, depending on whether you have how many stops will depend on how many kids you have in the car um, or how many people with a weak bladder, etc. Yeah, um, speaking of which, uh, don't just what, depend. weak bladders? Yeah, weak bladders. Um, don't depend, and children in the car, don't depend just on what you see online for, you know, is this rest stop open or not. There are two kinds of rest areas. One is, you know, a big service station like a truck stop or something. They know a lot of people are coming in there to use the restroom. They're going to sell you ice cream and bottled water and soda and candy and donuts and everything else they can think of to keep you from getting out the door. So you will have paid to use for the restroom in either way um Mm -hmm. or there are the state operated roadside rests which are really undependable probably open about 50 percent of the time and then of course you could always get there at the time of the day when it's being cleaned and it's closed for 30 minutes um would be just your luck but uh a lot of those are just really undependable and so i really recommend to you especially if you've got particular reasons to be stopping by the side of the road on a regular basis that you really do your homework um, go online and find out which rest areas are open and don't do it until a few days before you are actually traveling so that you'll have a, a much more accurate list. Um, we used the Best Western in Garberville. Um, we stayed in Gold Beach, Oregon the second night at a place called Jots Resort. That was a jumping-off point for the jet boats, which we'll talk about in just a moment. We went on to Coos Bay, spent a couple of nights at the Mill Casino there. I don't like, disclaimer, I don't like casino hotels don't have any use for them whatsoever um but this one is so well run the people are so nice and they're so efficient in the way they deal with groups handling the luggage meals etc that um I, I i the mill casino in coos bay is an excellent spot especially if you're the kind of person who enjoys a little gaming in the evening then that would be a plus for you but even if you don't uh, good restaurants, really nice accommodations, really, really, really super clean uh, was one thing that I that I noticed about it. Coos Bay is a wonderful little town. So uh, an extra night there was, was something we enjoyed. And finally, our last hotel stop was in the town of Newport for two nights. Uh, we stay at a place called the Elizabeth Street Suites there. Uh, advantage to uh, the Elizabeth Street Hotel in Newport is all the rooms are the same size whether they have one bed or two, and they all have a head-on view of the ocean. Now, the only problem for us was that it was San Francisco foggy both nights, so there were no sunsets. In fact, at one point in the evening, you couldn't see the beach. But the rooms oh, all no. have 
The rooms have fireplaces. They serve a modest complimentary breakfast in the morning. They serve complimentary salmon chowder in the evening. Um, they're very nice people. And it's uh, a short walk from the Nye Beach area, which is a historic area in Newport, or a short drive from uh, the waterfront, which is the other place that you would probably go. Only problem with Elizabeth Street, no re- no restaurant on site. Yes, sir. Yeah, uh, and uh, I've stayed there. Uh, the The real nice thing is if you like the the sound of the ocean mm-hmm. when you're settling in for a, a good night's sleep. Uh, like Mark said, every room faces the ocean, and uh, you can leave the uh, sliding door open uh, some or a lot if you so choose. And uh, you can be lulled off to sleep by the Pacific Ocean. Elizabeth Street Suites in Newport. There are three or four hotels down there on the water. Um, I think the one we stay at is by far the best. So, uh, But there are other choices down there if you, if you were just looking for a waterfront um, hotel. <coughs> Places to eat. Uh, when you're on the road, of course, eating is everybody eats every day. Uh, when you're on the road and you're traveling with a group, then you're mostly going to find yourself in restaurants. A few places that I thought were particularly worth noting in uh, Bandon, Oregon, which is a little place we went to from Coos Bay one day. Uh, lovely arts-related community. has a lot. It's a great golfing spot. If you're a golfer, there are a lot of, of, of big courses there. Um, Tony's Crab Shack on the waterfront in Bandon serves a really, 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 really good crab sandwich. It's uh, $24, but it's really, really re- – did I mention it's really good? I think um, you did. And it's, it's, it's like a quarter pound of crab, so it's, well. it's legit, um, a legit place. Uh, if you're in Newport, the Clearwater restaurant down on the water in Newport is one that I really highly recommend. That was a, is always a great spot. We go there every year um, with our groups. There are lots of choices. As you're going along the Oregon coast, you're going to find a fast food um, chain of restaurants in some of the small towns called Mo's, M-O, mm-hmm. apostrophe S. Great chowder, um, fish and chips. Um, and if you've got somebody in your party who doesn't do seafood, then they've got burgers and some things like that. Reasonably priced, good food, uh, really good chowder for a fast foodish sort of place. Um, I like Mo's is kind of my go-to place. As I'm mm-hmm. as I'm going up up the coast, you know, whatever your whatever your go to fast food place, that's that would would be mine. Um, some places to stop along the way. Uh, our trip was advertised as California Redwoods and the Oregon Coast. So the Redwoods, as you go up Highway 101, and one thing that's worth noting, in my opinion, the better redwood groves for visitors for walking to from the highway are in the state park not the National Park. Um, The groves in the National Park are really impressive and really beautiful, but in many cases you need to be able to walk, sometimes not on a level surface, in order to be able to get to them. So if if you want to see the redwoods, don't pass the state park thinking that, oh, well, the National Park will be bigger and better. Not so much. Um, The visitor center in the state park, in my opinion, is better than the visitor centers, the two in the National uh, Park, which is to the north. Um, so make sure as you're making your plans, um, Richardson Grove and some of the groves in the state park are e- more easily accessible. Also, another thing you got to think about, starting with the Redwoods and all the places we're going to talk about in the next couple minutes, is driving up the coast, parking is limited in all these places. Early bird gets the worm. Guy who shows up at 1.30 in the afternoon deals with a full parking lot. 
almost everywhere. So early bird or last guy in town gets the worm. So if you get there early, there's going to be parking available or go late. And the further you go north, the later the sun sets. In Newport, it doesn't set till 9.05 in the evening right now. So it's not going to be dark till almost 10 o'clock. So you could go out to some of these parks at 7 in the evening when everybody's having their dinner, and parking would be readily available, and you wouldn't have a whole lot of people to deal with. So think about parking at all of these hiking spots as you go up the coast. The places, uh, if they're open to the public, if they're not open to the public, and they're just for folks like you who want to hike into the backcountry or the visitor center that's a quarter mile away, think about In some cases, you can reserve parking spots especially if you're going hiking or something like that. So make sure you know that we saw a lot of people who arrived at places and were disappointed because there was no place for them to park. Um, So the Redwoods, State Park, for sure. Uh, Jerry's, uh, the Rogue River Jet Boats at Gold Beach. They take you up the Rogue River, which comes down to the Pacific at, at Gold Beach, and they're a lot of fun. They're big boats that hold 25 or 30 people. They take you up the river to Agnes, where you'll get off and have lunch and then come back down to Gold Beach. It's about a a four-and-a-half-hour trip, so you're probably going to want two nights in Gold Beach or a nearby community someplace because the trip leaves at 9.30 in the morning. You're going to want to get breakfast and the like. Uh, A lot of fun. If you enjoy mild adventure on the water, then this is something that you really don't want to miss is uh, the Rogue River jet boats out of Gold Beach. Um, a little ways further up the road, you'll find another kind of mild adventure. That's the sand dune buggies uh, just south of Florence. You can go on a public buggy that has 25 or 30 people on it. We'll give you a, a fun ride through over the top of the dunes, or you can go in a smaller buggy that has a driver and has five or six passengers and will be a little bit more adventurous and is more catered to the desires of the people on board where you have to wear a helmet and you'll get sand in absolutely everything, everything. Two days later, you will find sand in places that you never had sand before. Uh, but that's something that folks really enjoyed. Yeah, we. Uh, I don't know if we did the dune buggies at the same location, but when we did our Oregon trip, uh, we we it had been raining, so the the, the sand was wet, uh-huh. which made it even even more fun uh, for us to be on. We had actually got a chance to rent our own individual uh, dune buggies. Uh-huh. And the, the the expansion of of of, uh, of sand. In fact, there were times when you would sit at the top of a crest of a of a dune and and you'd go, "Well, where's the ocean?" And they'd say, "Well, it's way over there on the other side of that uh, that dune, way over there." <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just enormous, and uh, they are so much fun. And it doesn't really matter uh, whether it's raining or whether it's sunny. Uh, it's a it's a great experience and something. You know, yeah, you, you, you got to give it a try. I can't imagine on one of those what sand dune dune buses what uh-huh. it would be like. Yeah, well, the big Strap ones. Strap me in. Whether you do the big ones or the smaller ones, a lot of fun. Had a guy who did one of the smaller uh, rides and came back and said, "That's the most fun I had since I was 15 years old." And there was a lady in our group. I don't know how old she was, but let's just say she was in her 80s, and um, <laughs> she was still digging sand out. Last night at the airport, um, two or three days later, but she was, uh, she was, she had such, she had a smile on her face for two days afterwards. Um, she was so we happy. Were. So it was absolutely, a, it's pretty cool. If you're not quite into uh, that 
adventurous of an activity. Um, in Newport, there's a wonderful cruise on the waterfront there that's a couple hours. They'll, depending on the itinerary and time of day, they'll go out in the ocean a little bit. They do things like drop, drop crab, crab pots and uh, put plankton under the microscope and teach you a little bit about mm-hmm. the water uh, while you're out there. We also visited the Oregon Aquarium. One of the things that, that we do that uh, advantage of traveling in a group is that we can arrange a special program where we get to go behind the scenes and we get to see things that the general public does not. Um, if you were in Oregon at the aquarium and you, you publicly, you could purchase that behind-the-scenes tour. I highly recommend it. I recommend those in most cases where they are reasonably priced because it gives you an opportunity to see and do things that others don't. Lots of lighthouses on the coast. Most of them have those limited parking lots that I was mentioning. In some cases, there's a walk to the lighthouse. In some cases, it's not on level ground. So, again, this is some where you need to do your homework if you've got somebody in your party who isn't um, able to walk distances or isn't able to walk up or down hills or you've got a bunch of kids, you may be picking a particular spot there. Um, at Dean Creek, which is near Reedsport, there's a uh, elk viewing area that you can check out. It doesn't cost anything. The elk, of course, are not there in the heat of the day, but again, if you're early in the morning or in the evening, uh, you may find there's a herd of elk there. Uh, attractions along the way, uh, there's a thing called the Washed Ashore Gallery, um, which used to be in band and they've closed down. Now they just they don't really have a storefront. They're a group of people who are taking trash from the ocean and creating pieces of art from it. So Washed Ashore is the name of, of what they do, and you can find some of their art pieces in different places. They're trying to show that you can take things out of the ocean and make something significant out of them. So um, that's something that, that our folks enjoyed uh, seeing and doing as we went up the coast. Um, biggest deal really is uh, at this time of the year, it's a beautiful time to travel on the Oregon coast. But there are, there's a limited amount of parking accommodations or something that you want to do in advance because many of these small towns only have a couple of hotels. The larger places have a wider variety, but then you're competing with a lot more people also. And the other thing I would tell you is allow yourself enough time. Um, the people in these small towns are easy to get along with and fun to talk to. And you could find yourself in a conversation, and if somebody is out honking the car horn and saying, hey, we only got two hours to go, and it's already 5 o'clock, why then that's then you've made a mistake in your itinerary planning. But as is in most cases, when you're doing a road trip, really do your homework. And pick up the phone or send a text or do some research and make sure that you don't leave anything for chance. Because right now there are a lot of other folks out on the road also. Obviously, this is a holiday weekend. Um, if you can avoid weekends in some of these po- popular places, then that's the thing to do. We paid almost $300 for a night at a Best Western in Garberville because it was a Saturday night. Um, dare I say that that a hotel is not worth the money that we paid for it. It's not a bad place or anything, but that's what it's worth on a Saturday night when there aren't a whole a lot of other good choices around. So do your homework. Get the best deal that you can. Um, know that if you're going in the summertime, though, and you're going to the Oregon coast and up to the Redwoods, that uh, you're going to have to deal out your wallet, get out your wallet. One good thing about Oregon is no sales tax. So uh-huh. right there you save a few bucks. Also, by the way, if you've never traveled to that part of the country, I know my first uh, trip there was a bit of a surprise when I stopped to put uh, put gas in my uh, my rental car and uh, 
So the clerk uh, inside <laughs> come running running out saying, "No, sir, don't don't touch that pump, uh, because uh, unless things have changed, uh, you're not allowed to pump your own gas." That was in order to save all of those jobs years ago of the guys who pumped gas in the state of Oregon. Now, under some limited situations, you can pump your own gas in the the state of Oregon. Also, I should mention, uh, we made a stop at Smith's Berry Barn in the little town of Shoals. um, And that was really cool. There are lots of places at this time of the year um, where you can stop and pick your own berries or have them picked for you. We were headed home Friday afternoon, and that was our last stop, so everybody got some berries to bring with them. Um, I don't know if they had berries or berry juice by the time they got home, but nonetheless, (laughs) uh, that's a fun place to go. There's nothing like getting a milkshake made out of berries that were you know, on the vine a couple hours beforehand. And speaking of berries, uh, Oregon is just loaded with great wine tasting. Uh, The best Pinot in the world is grown there. And if you're really adventuresome, look up Equestrian Wine Tours, where you go wine tasting on horseback from vineyard to vineyard. Anyway, I think that's about a wrap on this thing. Yeah, you have to be able to, of course, if you do that horse wine tasting thing, you got to know that the horse, hope the horse knows its way back, I guess, at the end of the day. Oh, these horses know exactly where they're going. <laughs> Trust me. Okay, uh, we've talked a couple of few, well, it's been more than a couple of weeks, about... Uh, one of Mark's staff members whose uh, luggage on United uh, disappeared. Uh, what's the latest on uh, your staff members? Uh, yeah, well, we came back from Newark Airport. If, if those have heard part of this story, um, over three weeks. Actually, it's been almost a month ago. It'll be a month uh, tomorrow. And uh, the suitcase has been found. It was checked in under some rather strange conditions at the airport. And uh, we got notification that it was on its way to Sacramento, but it wasn't. And then United had no idea where it was, and they kind of acted like they really didn't care where it was. This week, suddenly, Tyler, while we were out on the road, got a call saying uh, from United saying, or text saying, your bag is on its way. It'll be delivered to your house tomorrow. So the bag has now been returned. Here is the part of the story where the story is still not resolved. He was on a tour at the time the bag was lost, a nine-day tour. So he had virtually his whole work, work wardrobe with him. That had to be replaced. It's been a month. You have to keep working. So about $1,000 between the suitcase and the wardrobe replacement um, had to be sent to United and said, hey, you know, you got to reimburse me for this stuff. So it remains now to be seen, now that the suitcase has been returned, whether or not it will be like pulling teeth to get the, the money that truly the guy is, is deserving in order to replace the stuff that he had to buy when his suitcase didn't show up, unlike some people who might have been on a vacation and not been in a position where they had to replace all that stuff right away. So we'll see. Wow. That's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, hey, here's all your stuff back. Uh, yep. Sorry, uh, we're not paying for all the new stuff you went yeah. and bought. And here's 100 bucks, you know, or 200 bucks flight credit. And sorry we messed this up. But we'll have to see now whether or not United falls through, whether, whether or not there are adults or whether they're small children. And, of course, there's always small claims court, which is a very easy way to go after an airline in a situation like this. So we'll keep you updated on that. All right. So we, we our story isn't quite over with. Not quite <laughs> yet. Well, we don't know the rest of the story quite yet, but at least the suitcase, after a month, 
was was finally finally returned. Listen, I also want to say a thank you to the folks who have uh, been on tour with me for a week. Some of them might be listening today, and uh, they were really a wonderful group of people to travel with. We had a great time going up the coast. So thank you to all of them, and remember to dance like nobody's watching. All right, my friends, stay well. Have a safe and sane 4th of July. See you next week right here on The Travel Guys. Never